Well, hello friends, uh, my name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and I wanna take a moment to extend a special welcome to those who are joining us today for the very first time, maybe as we launch on TELUS Optic TV today and broadcast our live stream on the TELUS network to anyone in BC and Alberta on channel 878. So we're grateful for this new partnership. And if you're joining us in that medium for the first time, I wanna say welcome to you and happy Valentine's Day as well. I'm glad you've made the choice uh, to be with us today and to invest in your spiritual and relational health. I don't know about you, but I have found that one of the hardest parts of this past year has been finding a sense of rhythm. Really, any rhythm to life would be helpful. And I'm finding that the things that normally give shape to my life, the well-trodden paths and habits, have been difficult to maintain. I'm a bit of a high structure person, and so a shift of patterns in my life leaves me feeling a little bit lost and a little bit vulnerable. And I've been working for a while at re-rhythming my life, at creating the necessary habits that are gonna lead to health or at least survival in this season. But I gotta tell you, it's hard work and maybe you feel the same way. If you're joining us on our Church Online Interactive Platform Live, maybe just type that in the chat. What is one rhythm that you feel like you've struggled with this season? One of the things that I find helpful when I struggle with rhythm is just to remember that we're not left to our own devices to create all of these rhythms. For centuries, Christians have submitted themselves to the church's liturgical calendar, which provides some kind of a shape to the rhythm of the year. The Christian year begins with Advent and a sense of longing and anticipation and then moves into Christmastide, a, a celebration of hope and the coming of Christ. And the rhythm of this calendar alternates between preparation and celebration. And so this week we're entering into a new season in the Christian calendar, the season of Lent. And if, like me, you didn't grow up with Lent, Lent is the 40-day period, 40-weekday period, beginning on Ash Wednesday, leading up to Easter Sunday. And traditionally, in the church calendar, it's a season of preparation where we're spending time getting our hearts and our lives ready to experience the gravity and the majesty of Holy Week and of Easter. And it's a time to practice spiritual disciplines like giving and praying and fasting like we saw in that video. And so we're gonna take the next four weeks here at Jericho to explore four spiritual practices or disciplines that if you and I are willing to experiment with them a little bit, they can help bring maybe a sense of rhythm or some structure back into your life. So we're gonna talk today about the discipline of fasting. Next week, Meg and I are going to talk about the discipline of community. Week three, we'll explore the practice of Sabbath rest. And finally, Kevin O'Coin will share his journey on the practice of and discipline of simplicity. So if you're ready and willing, let's dive in together, shall we? So one of the practices most associated with Lent is that of fasting. Richard Foster, he's the author of the classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, defines fasting as a voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense 
spiritual activity. In other words, you're going to give up something from the normal rhythm of your daily life in order to replace that thing with a time or more intentional pursuit of God. See, most often when we talk about fasting, we think about the thing that we're giving up, the food, perhaps. But it's also quite fair to think about the voluntary denial of other parts of our lives. Some people fast from sweets like chocolate. One time I fasted from caffeine. It was very hard on all the people around me. Sometimes people fast from alcohol or social media or other things like this. But really, any area of our lives that has the capacity or is producing addictive tendencies in us is a prime area to experiment with the discipline of fasting. See, the question of can I give this up always needs to lead to the, well, what will I give myself to instead? So note how this is different from the recent health craze of intermittent fasting. See, intermittent fasting is a structured regimen of eating and abstaining for the purpose of physical health or weight loss. But the Christian discipline of fasting is linked to a desire for deeper spiritual health and vitality. Listen to Richard Foster again. He says this, quote, We fast for many reasons. We fast because it reveals the things that control us. We fast because it helps to give us balance in life. We fast because sometimes there's an urgent need. But most important of all, we fast because God calls us to it. End quote. If we think about the rhythm of fasting in the Bible, fasting has its roots back in the Old Testament. Time after time, example after example, we see the people of God called to fasting and prayer. Moses, for example, fasted on Mount Sinai. Hannah fasted when she was praying for a child. Daniel fasted on multiple occasions when he was faced with challenges and difficulties. Esther fasted and called other people to fast when her people were faced with extermination. Many of the prophets invited whole groups of people, sometimes the entire nation, into times of prayer and fasting. And if we move into the New Testament, we see Jesus fasting as he begins his ministry. And this week I was reading in the book of Acts and our life journaling plan. And I read that again, Paul fasted as he came to a knowledge of Jesus. And Paul also invited others to join him at key moments of discernment, such as the appointment of elders in local churches for times of fasting. See, the Bible is just full of people who made fasting just part of their spiritual rhythm of life, including Jesus. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. We're going to see what Jesus said about fasting because they underline something that we often overlook about fasting as well. In uh, context here, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on giving to those who are in need. And then someone asked Jesus, Jesus, how should we go about praying? And so Jesus teaches the model of our Father or the Lord's Prayer. And immediately following that, in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, And when you fast, don't make it obvious like the hypocrites do. They try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. 
That's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. No one will notice that you're fasting except for your father who knows what you do in private and your father God who sees everything will reward you. So a few key things stand out here to me in this text. And the first is that Jesus seems to assume fasting as a normal part of a spiritually healthy routine. Jesus expects that just like his followers will compassionately give to those in need, and Jesus expects, just like they will engage in a dialogue, a conversation with God in prayer, they will also engage in the practice of fasting. Verse 3 of Matthew 6, when you give to someone in need. Verse 5, and when you pray. And then verse 16, and when, not if, but when you fast. Jesus sets out the invitation to fast, both in his words and also in his own rhythm of life that he modeled for his followers and for us. Jesus practiced fasting during times of temptation and during times and periods in his life of intense spiritual warfare. And it it was a regular part of his routine. We see that John the Baptist disciples fasted and also the Pharisees. And in our day and time, talk of self-denial can feel legalistic or fake or forced. But Jesus invites us into a practice that's about the interior vibrancy of our spiritual lives, not about the external ritual. So similar to Jesus' teaching on generosity, fasting here is about what's going on inside, in the private places of your heart. It's not about making a public spectacle. And this is where it can get a little bit tricky. It's not like, okay, gang, I'm fasting from social media for Lent. So if you can take a moment to put in the comment box how awesome I am, that would be great. Uh, No, thank you. That's not in keeping with Jesus' instructions and invitation to us. Because if we say yes to Jesus' invitation to fast, it's because we want to, or it's for the purpose of deepening and being more interested in what's going on inside our hearts. It's not about broadcasting how hard it is that you're entering a period of self-denial. Yes, you can make it a part of your routine, but don't brag publicly about it, please. So let's look at a second reason that you might consider fasting, and that is that fasting opens us up to God in an intentional and powerful way. I know for me, some of the times that I have felt close to God, the times when I've heard God's still small voice giving me direction or comfort or insight in challenges have been during times and seasons of fasting and prayer. There's just something about fasting that opens us up to God in an intentional and powerful way. Our capacity to hear from God increases. And this is often why Christians throughout history have fasted at key moments when they've needed discernment or wisdom, or when they've had a big decision to make. 
And part of this is because one of the beautiful gifts of fasting is actually the gift of time. See, when we fast, when we take something out of our lives or our calendar, we can take that time and that effort and that energy which we normally dedicate to whatever it is. Maybe it's meals or food preparation or TV and social media. And we take that time and we now offer our time and attention to God in a more focused and intentional and dedicated kind of way. Nathan Foster, in his book, The Making of an Ordinary Saint, My Journey from Frustration to Joy with the Spiritual Disciplines, says it this way, quote, while the physical aspect of fasting intrigues us, we need to remember that the major work of fasting is in the realm of the spirit. The spiritual discipline of fasting can bring breakthroughs in the heart and the mind that will not happen in any other way. It is a means of God's grace for the continuing formation of the human personality into the likeness of Christ." End quote. See, Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus fasted at strategic moments in his life when he needed God's guidance. For 40 days at the start of his ministry, Jesus fasted when he was faced with temptation. He fasted when facing the demonic. He fasted prior to instances of miraculous healings. And so friend, let me say this to you. If you're in a season of your life where you feel a little bit lost and where you need to know God's presence and power in a renewed way, you might want to consider experimenting with the discipline of fasting. Now, having said that, there is a shadow side to this approach, which we'll come to in a few minutes. So I'd invite you to stay tuned for that part of the conversation. The third reason you might want to consider fasting is that it helps us break free of addictive tendencies or things that can control us. See, fasting is the process of voluntarily laying something down for a season of time. And so maybe you choose, for example, to fast from online shopping and you begin to realize a pattern in your life that when you are stressed or anxious, your first response is to head to the mall or to purchase something online. And in fact, it's a way of keeping the loneliness at bay in your life. Maybe for you, you choose a fast from alcohol, or maybe kids, you decide, hey, this weekend I'm gonna fast from my favorite toy or book. I'm gonna put it on the shelf and not engage with it this week. And sometimes when we come to that kind of a fast, we think, oh, it's only giving up one small item. What possible spiritual good could that accomplish? in my life. But if you're giving up a meal, for example, and you're, as your stomach growls, you can choose to turn your thoughts and attention to, for example, in the words of Matthew 4, 4, to feast on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When you think about that toy, you can wonder how attached you are to your possessions. Adults, maybe you wanna skip social media for a day. See how fidgety you become when you're waiting in line with nothing to distract or occupy you. See, fasting has a way 
of exposing where we turn for comfort and sustenance in our lives. Author and spiritual director Adele Calhoun in her excellent resource, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, reminds us this about fasting. Quote, through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. Our small denials of the self show us just how little taste we actually have for sacrifice or time with God, end quote. See, fasting has a way of exposing our dependencies. And that can actually be a profoundly healthy step in breaking the power of those dependencies and those things in our lives. But see, friends, fasting in and of itself is not some kind of magic. You can fast for the wrong reasons and you can fast in the wrong ways. Take this cartoon, for example. This guy's wife is calling him to account on fasting from moderation for Lent. It's not really a legitimate thing to fast from, from moderation or just say, oh, I'm gonna fast from my job this week or I'm gonna fast from being around my kids. That's not really a legitimate or practical kind of fast. And we see also in the Old Testament that God has strong opinions on how not to do fasting. So let's look together, for example, at Isaiah chapter 58. This is one of the longest and most extensive treatments of fasting in the scripture. And it contains a few surprising pitfalls that we can stumble into while fasting. So I want to highlight some of the dangers for us. I'm going to read uh, through to uh, verse 10. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he says, tell my people of their sins, they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Oh, we fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed, God? We've been very hard on ourselves. You didn't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God responds. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your head like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself in ashes. Oh, is this what you call fasting? You, you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger. Stop spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as the noonday sun. 
See, friends, we see in this text and in others that you can be going through all of the motions religiously, including fasting, but you can still get it all wrong. Let me give you three ways that you know you're doing fasting wrong. First of all, you know you're doing fasting wrong if you are using your fast to try and manipulate God. See, fasting is not twisting God's arm. That's just a manipulation technique. And we have a name for that. It's called a hunger strike. In 2014, Norwegian convicted murderer Anders Breivik wrote a 27-page letter to the Associated Press in which he threatened to go on a hunger strike if his demands were not met. He requested, among a few other things, better conditions on his morning walk. He complained that his prison cell was not decorated adequately and he did not have a picturesque view. He also demanded that his PlayStation 2 be upgraded to PlayStation 3 with access to more games that he could choose himself. According to the UK's Daily Mirror, Mr. Brevik had previously gone on a hunger strike because he was not allowed moisturizer and, <gasps> shocking, his coffee was not served to him hot enough. See, people can go on hunger strikes for the wrong reasons, or of course people can go on hunger strikes for a cause that is just. I mean, think about Gandhi. Gandhi went on 17 hunger strikes throughout his life to draw attention to the plight of injustice in the world. But we need to be clear and draw a distinction here. Hunger strikes are not fasting, and fasting is not a hunger strike. Hunger strikes are designed most often to, as an attempt to get someone to do something that they are unwilling to do, usually by making them feel guilty or by stirring up awareness and or sympathy. But at some point in conversations on fasting, it can feel like that's what people are trying to do, to kind of twist God's arm and make God do something, to up the ante. Oh, well, God didn't respond to my prayer for X or Y. Well, maybe if I added fasting into the mix, that would really get God's attention. Friend, don't waste your energy. God will not be manipulated into giving you something just because you add fasting into your list of demands. That isn't how a relationship with God works. That's doing fasting all wrong. Secondly, you're doing fasting all wrong if you think in some way that you will earn merit. The Christian life is not like a brownies or scouting program whereby you complete a list of exciting and sometimes difficult assigned activities that forge you into a better person and therefore you get a badge to prove how meritorious you are. There isn't a merit badge for fasting. And in fact, we have to be careful with all of the spiritual practices that we're doing and that we're going to discuss that we do not see them as a means to self-improvement. I like what theologian and author Scott McKnight says in his wonderful little book entitled Fasting. He says, quote, fasting in the Bible is rarely, if ever, a means of personal sanctification. And it is far more a response to a grievous condition that one experiences. That means, or that is, people fast because they realize their sin, because they see death because they realize God is about to judge the nation, because they realize or fear that foreigners were invade. In other words, the biblical emphasis is that fasting is a response by which we identify or side with God 
rather than a means or instrument to make us better." End quote. And so, friends, fasting can be a way of entering into something. For example, a question of what breaks your heart in the world? Is there a cause or an issue that you want to engage more deeply in? Fasting can be a response by which we identify or side with God on that issue. And this is what really Isaiah 58 is on about. This is why it says you're doing it wrong if other parts of your life remain unaffected by your fast. If you fast every Tuesday, have no concern for those who are suffering unjust laws in India around food security, or those who are imprisoned for their faith in China, or those who are dying of starvation or malnutrition in East Africa, or those who are living through ongoing strife in Syria, or the person who's homeless in our city streets in this cold snap. If your heart is not filled with compassion, do not bother emptying your stomach and fasting. It will ring hollow. But see, friends, we can catch a vision of fasting done well. It's an engagement of our whole selves and all of our lives in this process. And when we do that, fasting and prayer can become a way in which it doesn't become just about us anymore. It's a movement toward action in the world. We choose to humble ourselves and we also choose to align with God's heart for justice and for peace in God's world. I can think of an example where some of the people here at Jericho uh, chose to eat a diet of rice and beans for a period of time, and then they took the money that they would have spent on their groceries over that period of time, and they donated it to an agency that was working to reduce global hunger and poverty. See, friends, that is a form of fasting that moves beyond just passive spiritual contemplation. It involves more of our lives than just our stomachs. So friend, we're coming into a season of Lent and we're gonna explore these four practices. And as we do that, I wanna open up a space for you to try something new. Maybe you want to join in and consider a Lenten fast of some kind. Maybe you'd be willing to skip or forego a meal and instead of that, using that time to pray and connect more deeply with God. Maybe you're gonna cut out news or reduce your social media consumption. Put your phone or your toy away for a day and say, instead of the time that I would spend doing that, I'm going to spend it with God. Maybe for you, you wanna get more in touch with uh, some aspect in the world, a grievous condition that you want to see changed and you want to fast to ask God to open up your heart in a fresh and new way with God's compassion for that. Friend, we're here to help and support you in that journey. If that's something you wanna experiment with, if it's something you'd like some coaching in, I want you to email me and I'd be happy to give you some tips and we can also keep each other accountable in this journey because fasting, friends, can be a time of deep formation and a time of deep 
transformation if we let God work in us, if we empty us of ourselves and choose to embrace and fill ourselves up with God and God's Spirit. So as you move into this time of responding to God in worship and song, let me pray a prayer over you, written by the online ministry of Crichton University. Let's pray together. I invite you wherever you are, just close your eyes. God, as we give you thanks, we are mindful of those who have much less than we do. As we share these wonderful gifts together, we commit ourselves to greater generosity toward those who need our support. I ask God that you'd prepare us, prepare me, prepare each one today for this season of Lent. Tasting all of the fullness of what we have today, let's experience, let us experience some of the hunger of tomorrow. May our fasting, God, make us more alert. May it heighten our consciousness so that we might be ready to hear your word and ready to respond to your call. Just like our feasting fills us with gratitude, so may our choice of fasting or abstinence hollow out in us a place for deeper desires and an attentiveness to hear the cry of those who are poor. May our self-denial turn our hearts to you and give us new freedom for generous service to others. We ask you these graces with our hearts full of delight and stirring with readiness for the journey of Lent ahead. We ask them with confidence in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.